Ladies and gentlemen, this episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. And they asked us not to read an ad, but they do want you to enjoy the show. Oh, hello there. I'm Mayor Augie Barnum. I'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to come experience all we have to offer here in Haintsport, Maine. Haintsport, Maine's your home away from home. Take your whole family. There's plenty for the kids to do, and we got wicked great restaurants. And Haintsport is well within EPA guidelines of toxic air particulates almost 250 days a year. Don't let our heavy precipitation dampen your spirits for tourism here. You can always come into one of our many fine dining establishments to escape the rain, or the occasional billowing fog of the souls of the damned air. Each weekend, from Memorial Day through Labor Day, features a different interesting aspect of Haintsport life, from delicious food festivals to award-winning art walks. Feel free to rest and relax in our many temperature-controlled and air-sealed shelter facilities for when the blood tide brings in another murderous fog. Enjoy a tour of historical Haintsport, as the town's been built upon itself numerous times, what with the fog making people vanish unexpectedly and such. Enjoy spine-tingling thrills as you take a tour of haunted Haintsport. Hop in my cars, together we explore the rich history and problematically high mortality rate of Haintsport. Hop in my old boat here with me, for not only am I the mayor of Haintsport, I'm also a lobsterman. My father was a lobsterman, and his father, well, he, he got swallowed up by fog once, so we didn't know too much about him, but pretty, pretty sure he did stuff with lobsters too, yeah. So grab your wife and kids and come visit us this summer in Haintsport. I wouldn't advise visiting us in the winter, on account of the hunger frost and all. But come on down to Haintsport whenever you want. You'll be surprised by the hospitality, and also the faces of the dead that stare at you from the frothy mists, yeah. But come on down to Haintsport, and uh, find your main thing. That's something that the, the state wanted me to say or something. I, I don't get it, yeah. Haintsport, Maine. Come for the beautiful scenery. Stay because it's not safe to leave the building. Good day. Oh, hello. We welcome you to the podcast known as Blurry Photos. That is correct. I am the extraordinarily erudite David Stecco. And I'm the Gus Snipe David Flora. <laughs> oh, you little scamp. Let me tussle your hair. Just just the hair around your mouth. <laughs> Not that hair. Ugh. Boy, tough start already. Yeah. It's like a it's like a football game where you get a penalty on the first play. <laughs> you, you basically kick it into the referee's face. <laughs> he knows what he did. Let's see, what is it? June now? It is. It is Crazy. June. Hello, everyone, and welcome to summer. I don't think it's officially summer yet, but it's summer. It is. You can't get away from it. You can't fight it. You certainly can't negotiate with it because it's relentless. That's true. Hope everyone's doing well. Right. Getting out, getting some sun. Mm-hmm. Well, we got a good show. Yeah, we do. We got a show that's <laughs> based on a fever dream. Is it? Is Is this one... Was this one part of your your dream? No, that was a different dream. But this is the one. Remember, we were just like 
thought, oh, let's we got to think of some new episodes. And I was like, yeah, we should do something kind of fun. Like, what if there was like murder fog? Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> My mouth to God's ears, everybody. Yep, cashed in on this one. Gonna be talking about killer fogs. Yes. I, I like slaughter fogs. I'll also take death mist. Yeah. Surprisingly, there's a quite a bit of stuff on murderous mists. Yeah. And uh, we're going to go over some of this stuff. Stick, uh, stick our toe in some actual stuff and stick a finger in some paranormal <laughs> stuff, which <laughs> might also be actual stuff. <laughs> Anything else that's going to get stuck anywhere? <laughs> Put our nose in some some foggy business. Nice. Nose in some foggy business. So let's get into it. I'll also, at the end of this episode, uh, stay tuned for the announcement of the winner of week three of the yeah. Respected Contest. So uh, to get into this, Dave, what's a good way to take an already eerie setting and make it creepier? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> a clown, uh, children laughing, uh-huh. uh, a clown in the distance. Okay. And I would say, uh, rounding out the top three, how about misty fog? Oh yeah. That's uh that's one in particular that always seems to kick the creep up a notch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as an added bonus, it's a natural phenomenon. Yeah. It's, there's nothing anomalous about that phenomenon. That's right. Mother Nature can really cast a shuddersome pall over even the most picturesque setting. So what is it about fog that causes the human mind to run wild with imagination, surrendering to trepidation, deferring to dread? Is it the unnatural way it embraces the landscape and seeps into every corner it passes? Is it the thickness that obscures the world around you, causing an oppressive feeling of isolation no matter the locale? Could it be its languid movement as it floats by, smoky tendrils wisping up and out into nothingness right in front of you? Or does fog elicit a more primal response, something we inherently fear because maybe it's not a trick of nature? Maybe it's something sinister, ominous, something paranormal? <laughs> I, I, I went with that instead of a noogity-boogity sound. Or a badger. That's true. Could have been a badger. Could have been a badger. We'll be taking a look at extraordinary fogs in this episode, including foreboding phantasmal vapors and historical hazardous hazes. We'll also discuss the causes of some particularly perilous murky mists. It seems death can come on billowing clouds. Turns out there may be a reason to fear the fog after all, Dave. Damn right there is. A ton of reasons. Hashtag fear the fog. (laughs) Summer 2017, fear the fog. (laughs) That was what we should have done. (laughs) Well, you know what? We'll just put it. I'm just going to put it on the list here. But now we've got it in our pocket so that we're like, okay. Pocket fog. The fun thing about like uh, a murder fog a death cloud is that there are so many sources for it. And we, uh, one of the reasons we had so much fun with this is that it covers the gamut. We ended up having to split this up a little bit. So first off, 
we're going to get with some of the more, I mean, God, I, it's not mundane. I don't want to say the more mundane things, but the, the, the not quite so paranormal versions of this. And first and foremost, how about Flora just straight up cut and dry meteorological death fogs? Yeah. yeah. That just, just a fog on its own can wake up one morning and go, it's time to murder. <laughs> time to die. <laughs> uh, there is a really great uh, account uh, of June in, in June of 2004 in Canada between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, this uh, really thick fog bank rolls in. But the thing is, it's extraordinarily cold. It's colder than it should normally be. And these birds who don't give any shits whatsoever about the fog fly right into it and then die of hypothermia. Uh, and there were uh, reports of uh, what kind of fisherman, Flora? Lobster fisherman, yeah. That's right. <laughs> the birds were just dropping out of the sky. That's my Boston accent. I actually even looked it up, and that's as good as it got. Sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> just just a fog. Just a fog that just happens to be colder than a bird would like. Murder fog. Say die to your mother for me. <laughs> oh, shit. That you burned that one because that's good. That's real good. I had to. Uh, full points. It's yeah. too cold. I needed some <laughs> kind of warmth. But there are other fogs of a more man-made variety, and of course, you know, we're just going to leave out like on purpose kill fogs like mustard gas or whatever, oh, yeah. which I guess is I guess is largely clear, right? I don't I don't think that's visible. I think. I don't know. I've never been mustard gassed. Is it, and I've is never it not seen yellow? It. I always I, picture it as like a yellow cloud. <laughs> same here, but I, I seem to recall people saying that like in World War One, you could you would jump into a trench and the gas would be in there and you wouldn't know it. So I don't I don't really know. Okay. I guess we could look it up, but we're not gonna. I've got Speak a, a great yourself. little timeline of uh, and these are all uh, sort of like a a, a two man production of the Industrial Revolution and. Chilly wet, inclement, chilly weather. I just looked up the gas. Oh yeah, pure sulfur mustards are colorless. When used in impure forms, such as warfare, they are usually yellow brown and have an odor resembling mustard plants. Oh, so you can see it and smell it. That's that's pretty cool. I so, mean, it's, it's never it's never cool to get mustard gassed, but right. If you have some indication that you're in trouble, that that's better than none. Yeah, don't step into that cloud of right. yellow brown. I mean, that's, that's just good advice for life. <laughs> Your whole life. Yeah. You don't, don't step ha- into a yellow-brown cloud. You don't have to be a doughboy to have that help you out. So let's start in 1880 in London, England. What's all this, did I? Too right, mate. From January 26th through the 29th, this gigantic, slow-moving fog composed of uh, sulfur dioxide and other, like, Trace com- uh, combustible gases killed approximately, they say approximate, but it's a real specific number, 11,776 people in not so jolly old England. Wow. And, and although in this particular instance, it wasn't more uh, clear, and this is something we'll see going on over and over, there's a thing called uh, a temperature inversion. And I don't. I assume it just happens all over the place. I saw it in Colorado a lot, like in Denver, where there is a thick layer of air 
over an area and it pushes everything down. Um, and so sometimes when you're driving into say Denver, for example, the sky will be really clear and blue, but just right over the city is you can just see this brown smog cloud and it's, mm. that's a temperature inversion day. And uh, I mean, I'm sure we've got some, maybe not, not even amateur meteorologists, maybe like a full fledged TV meteor meteorologist listening. I don't know. Let us know more about temperature inversion and how it works. Cause it's killing the shit out of people in 1880 London. Oh, geez. So this was just smog. It's never, it's never just like a, a pollution issue, which mm. gosh, if, I mean, if you think about it, like if you started just adding in just general malaise from pollution to those numbers, like that'd be terrifying. Uh, but what it is, is the, the, the fog concentrates chemicals and it holds them in place. They don't get to blow away because in a lot of cases, these are lighter uh, complexes that would be happy to blow away, but the fog holds everything in place. No one gets to get away from it. And in this case, you know, this is, this is uh, industrial revolution problems, um, especially around London. They have so many uh, coal. Not only are they burning coal for energy, they've got factories running, they've got steel mills, and they are just pumping out chemicals and uh, uh, smog, uh, coal dust, I mean, anything you can imagine just into the air. Probably very lax on the environmental protection laws and stuff. Extraord so lax, you would swear there wasn't any at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so, boom, all these people die. And so, obviously, you know, the, the government in London was like, whoa, this can never happen again. So, immediately after this, they did mm, all. <laughs> Sweet Fanny Adams. Sweet Fanny Adams. They did nothing. Nothing at all. And so, two years later, February 1882, murder fog. December 1891, murder fog. December 1892, murder fog. November 1948, murder fog. Just keeps happening, and they don't do anything about it. Zero. Well, okay, so this 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 leads me to a few questions uh, yeah. and observations, and I don't know if if you don't know it, it's okay. We could anyway. Um, what do you think they could do about it? Um, there are a number of things that were ultimately done, which I don't want to get too far ahead because uh, there does come a point at which London starts to get its head on straight. But um, for example, increasing the height of smokestacks, you put that air that that smoke at a much higher level and it travels further away it doesn't s- settle directly on the uh, the people around it okay um so they're they're they even then i mean i'm not saying they had like chemical co2 scrubbers right um right. and in a lot of these things uh, a lot of these these things we'll talk about sulfur huge problem sulfur mm. dioxide sulfur particulates not not great for humans not great at all and so they just there because you know no factory is going to put in a limit that is not legislated mm-hmm. and the fact that london had no apparent interest in fixing it they were just like well that's the cost of uh, doing business D- it it seems like this happens in winter a lot or at least in the colder months exactly and again i think it's part of that cold air inversion mm-hmm. because when it's warmer fog dissipates and this is always these these 
clouds aren't like a big rolling fog that is concentrating these chemicals in it. It's, you know, it's like a big sponge as it goes, it rolls across the countryside. It's just absorbing all these toxins and gases that are then binding to the water in there in a vapor format. And you're just breathing that in. It's all in there. Yeah. You didn't happen to find where, like, if this kept happening in the same places, did you? Or was it kind of, did it you was get the always idea scattered in London proper. What? Because there are some other, and we'll get to those, there are some others outside of London occurrences of it. But I think that the other problem was that you have in the city, high population density, you have the buildings that are also acting as a windbreak. They're, they're, they're giving the fog places to hide. Mm-hmm. There's less direct sunlight, and it allows a fog to sit longer. Um, so I think that's why it's, it's, it's primarily gotcha. a direct urban issue. But there, we'll, we'll have plenty of examples that right. run counter okay. to that. In 1930, in the Meuse, I think I'm saying that right, Meuse Valley in Belgium, um, for four days between December 1st and 5th, a giant thick blanket of fog uh, resulting again from temperature inversion concentrated fluorine gas Uh-oh. from, yeah, from uh, factories near the town of Engis or Engis. Um, and these were... Um, munitions plants, explosive plants, a lot of things that were left over from World War I that were still operating. And usually these gases just move right along. But again, the temperature inversion holds the gas low. Uh, the, the colder air uh, causes condensation. And now you've got this just immobile mass of fog. Uh, 60 people death, dead Ooh. as a result of that. And it's funny, like there is a lot of a uh, disagreement about the exact dates and some, some accounts were like, no one knows exactly what date it happened on. And then I was like, then I read another account was like, Oh no, it started on this date. It ended on this date. This is where it happened. So I don't know if that was just other people being a little bit lazier or, or if there's hmm. a real, I don't know. Let's bring it on back to the good old United States in uh, October of 1948 in Denora, Pennsylvania. Um, and this is, here's, here's your, your crossover, Flora starts on October 27th. Scooby-Doo comes in on October 28th. <laughs> That's right. And Batman it's, and the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> <laughs> and that, uh, that damn genie, Yapple Dapple, whatever his name was. Uh, I think his name was that damn genie. <laughs> now this, uh. It did not leave town until uh, shortly after Halloween, which yeah. would make for extra spookiness. Right. Uh, it, and this was a actual yellow fog. Again, Denora, Pennsylvania, you're talking steel country, super industrial. And this smog was a mixture of carbon monoxide, sulfur dioxide, and fucking metal dust, like just sus- in, in suspension in, in these water droplets, like just the most toxic stuff on earth uh, and which ultimately killed 20 people. And uh, here in the United States, although it didn't actually uh, go into effect till sometime later is usually the Denora, Pennsylvania's event is uh, credited as being the Genesis of the clean air act because it was the first time that on a national stage, you know, the news reported like, Air pollution is literally killing people. It's not some nebulous problem. It's not something that you're just being too much of a sissy about. 
people in this town are dying because of the way we are handling air pollution. Mm, yeah. And so it kind of got a, a, a very big and important ball rolling. So like I said, that's 1948. Now we can roll on to uh, the just god-awful and miserable 1952. We are back to London, England, because they still have not figured this out. From December 5th and, uh, until December 9th, again, huge, thick fog, 30 miles wide of uh, coal smoke, sulfur dioxide, and sulfur particles just sat on London and choked it. For this entire time, there was no visibility in the city, even things like flashlights, headlights on cars of marginal use. Uh, crime skyrockets because everyone can hide everywhere. You can't see anything in the city. It's so dense. And finally, after you know five days, winds change and blows the fog out to sea. And at the end of which, 12,000 people, 12,000 people died of air pollution in the 20th century in one city in five days in London. I can't believe I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, the famous London fog. <laughs> I mean, yeah. London's famous for fog anyway, but... This one, I guess this is the infamous London fog. It's really crazy to think about something like that happening. Like you said, this is in the 50s. Yeah. You, you would think that, you know, if this were 1850, it might be a little bit less shocking. Yeah. This is, but, I mean, this yeah. is, this is post-World War II London. And keep in mind, this is a city that lost 32,000 people were killed during the Blitz. Yeah. And that was, you know, what, uh, five, six years before. And don't do my math on that for me. But, uh, but yeah, so, and then you're just adding another 12,000 to this. Finally, at this point, Parliament's like, hey, maybe we should stop having everyone die for completely solvable reasons. Uh, and so they enact new legislation uh, that was, in 1956, still took them four more years to think it over, make sure they weren't acting too rashly. 56, they passed the Clean Air Act of 1956, which not only uh, restricted coal burning, but also uh, gave regional governments the ability. This is what we were talking about before, the things they can do. And these things don't require like future technology. Like Most of these changes that they made were available in 1880 restricting the amount of coal burnt, giving regional governments the ability to establish no smoking zones functionally for the country, like to make sure there are areas in which they are not belching out coal smoke. Right. And, uh, and then the, the kind of 20th century addition to that is the government made grants available to people in, in London to convert their homes from coal heat, which was, you know, you can shut down all the factories, but if every house in London is still heated by coal in winter, you're still going to have a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the government then made grants available so that people could convert their houses off of coal boilers to, I, I don't know at that time, I guess it would be gas. El electric or gas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the fifties. It's, you know, why not? Yeah. Cause London had a gas grid. They had gas lamps. Mm -hmm. And so just to try to get people switched a little bit further away from coal uh, and to try to make sure this didn't happen again. Spoilers, it happened again. Oh. <laughs> 1962, London, England. 
another 750 people die in another toxic cloud, which actually I had a really hard, aside from the fact that it happened, I had a hard time finding more information on that one. So that one's a little bit lighter on the wet, where, and why of it. Hmm. But judging from history, I'm going to go ahead and say that it was an industri- industrial cloud that had sulfur dioxide <laughs> and uh, coal, <laughs> coal particulates in it. Wow. Which kept England... Uh, and, and so that was the, the last, as far as my research went, uh, the last fatality in England. However, not the last incident. <laughs> 1989, Oxfordshire, England. Again, toxic fog of unknown etiology. Uh, burns throats, causes nosebleeds. Uh, just for one day in Oxfordshire. There is hmm. just something going on in this cloud. And, and it, it's, it's interesting that as time moves on, the details of where, this, where these clouds are come from seem to kind of dry up. There's less information as things go forward, at least to, to my eye as I, as I was looking up all these different incidents. Hmm. I wonder if there's like a factory in Oxfordshire that right. had and a leak or something. Yeah, and there's so many things that, I mean... As you, as you move to a more industrialized country, now any number of things could create a toxic gas, a train car derailment. Oh, it was, it was, that car was holding fluorine. Now it's yeah. all up and you know what I mean? Like there's so many, there's so much more, uh, there's so many more toxic chemicals being moved around that it could be anything, but it, but you should also be able to figure out, oh, well, did a gigantic fluorine tank rupture? might be your problem. Right. So I, I just, I don't know. I thought that was interesting because then the most recent one I found was uh, in Lagos, Nigeria in 2005. And the what I found more interesting is that I found plenty of news articles on the day of, which was October 12th, a white cloud of reeking fog moved into Lagos and it made everyone sick. Uh, it messed with everybody's lives. Uh, and although, as far as I could find, no reported fatalities, um, subsequent testing showed that the fog had extraordinarily dangerously high levels of sulfuric acid in it. The worst acid. <laughs> <laughs> the stinkiest acid. <laughs> acid. <laughs> and, and that's the craziest thing. I found tons of like Reuters, BBC news articles on the day it happened, just saying there was a fog that, that was making people uh, sick. I couldn't find anything on follow-up. I couldn't find anything uh, as far as like subsequent, like if there was a death toll, what was done about it. What There was a few mentions that people, that no one ever found out where it came from, but most of the locals blamed there's uh, petroleum refineries nearby, hmm. which if there was a mystery cloud in my city and there's a gigantic complex, that's nothing but pipes, heat and chemicals. Yeah. I feel like that's a pretty fair guess. I don't think they're off base there. And if you're conspiratorial minded, big oil spending the money to cover it up. Right. Maybe that's why you don't have the numbers. Right. And, and especially like in a place like Nigeria, who's going to make you right. You know, you can pay, you can pay people off to do whatever, you know, like whoever's in the government that would normally enforce that. Here's your new car. Sorry about that. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a little too cynical of me, but I, I don't, I don't feel like it is. Speaking of conspiracy, uh, I've got a little something here for you, Dave, that, that I, I just found real quick. 
Because San Francisco, obviously, is famous for fog as well. Yeah. And something I found that, that somebody's put out there is that in 1950, the U.S. military apparently maybe conducted a test to see whether it could uh, use fog like like in San Francisco to help spread a biological weapon in a simulated germ warfare attack. Huh. And apparently, according to the source, that was uh, just one of a, of a bunch of tests that they that they did around the country in secret, a la MKUltra. And it says, over a few days, a Navy vessel used giant hoses to spray a fog of two kinds of bacteria, uh, Serratia marquescans and Bacillus. It's 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 Globigi or Glohome. Globigi. Glo, glo <laughs> Both believed at the time to be harmless, where they disappeared, spread of the city. Yeah, so it looks like that was called Operation Sea Spray, and it was a U.S. Navy experiment to see what wow. they could see what they could do, and which was not disclosed until 1977, 27 years later. Jeez Louise. Okay, so God. and what is gonna, what are we going to find out about in 27 years? I hope those chemtrails come true. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be that'll be a hat-eating day. <laughs> yeah, we'll all be dining on hat. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, let me see about this Serratia Marquescans, if that's if if I'm saying that right. It's apparently involved in hospital acquired infections. Um, sort of like urinary tract infections, wound infections. Nice. And it says once established, complete eradication of the organism is often difficult, and you can do it with bleach. Here's a weird fact. Syriata marqueskins, which I think that sounds good to me, like, yeah. if we're pronouncing it wrong, so be it. It turns, uh, when it eats bread, it turns bright red. Huh. Look at this. Uh, yeah, it's pretty gross. Looks like a blood stain. Yeah. Uh, it was estimated that the city's 800,000 residents had each received a heavy dose of this bacteria through inhaling it. And the military further concluded that the bacteria is so rarely a cause of illness and the illness resulting is predominantly so trivial that its use as a simulate should be continued even over populated areas. Perfect. However... Yeah. It can cause illness, and the repercussions of the experiment extended far beyond a slightly foggier week for San Franciscans. A week after the spraying, 11 patients were admitted to the now-defunct Stanford University Hospital with severe urinary tract infections uh, resistant to the limited antibiotics available at that time. One guy even developed complications of heart infection because uh, he had a prosthetic heart, and it got in there. And and he actually died from it. it yeah. he, he was the only one to die, but... Edward Nevin. How nuts is that? What, I mean, was the 50s just the time of the U.S. military being like, I don't know, try it on people? Yeah, because they, they... And don't they were tell all, anybody. <laughs> they were just all boned up from World War II still. They're like, we do whatever we want. I don't know. What Jeez. else do you got? How just how nuts is that to 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 be like, you know what what fog uh, is great for concealing biological uh, weapons, and right. let's just try out some shit just to see if it works. Like, are are you gonna be are you gonna be fighting biological warfare in a lot of foggy places in the future? Is that what you're thinking, or you, or do you just want? There's no thought to this. They just want to know. They were so busy worrying about if they could do something. They 
I never stop to think if, if they should. Nature finds a way. Jeez. So yeah, not not really conspiracy. Actual fact. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, hundred percent legit. I got a list of the foggiest places. Maybe this is where they were going to spray them. <laughs> Number five, Swiss Plateau in Switzerland. Number four, Po Valley in Italy. Number three, the Namib Desert in Angola, Namibia, and South Africa. Number two was San Francisco. But if you wanted the foggiest place on earth, you want the Grand Banks, Newfoundland, out really? in Canada. Well, that and if you're a bird, don't do it. Don't. Can die. Go. Don't, Don't do it. Do it. I mean, got to be one of the spookiest places out there. So, Flora, I guess the the moral of the story is is that if you were to see a large, dense, maybe miscolored fog bank, you'd be perfectly fine if, as long as you have like eye protection and a respirator. Right? There's just nothing that could happen because if you if you have clean air to breathe and and something to protect your eyes, you're going to be just fine, right? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you'd be okay if you just walked into it and felt all the ethereal bony hands wrapping around you and taking you into the black, black nothingness. Hideous nightmare time. But, but hey, you can breathe. Hey, hey until you, do you, you can't. Right. You can scream into that gas mask all you want. In fog, no one can hear you scream. Oh. Except for everyone can, because it distorts sound, and you hear everything around you. So, some folks are convinced they've encountered something that's not just a low-lying cloud of condensed water vapor. They say it's a surefire sign of supernatural activity. Really? This fog is said to cling to or radiate from ghosts, or even be a ghost that's not fully manifested. Oh, the term for this is, are you ready for this? Lazy tulpa. The term is lazy tulpa. (laughs) The term is stealing my thunder. (laughs) Thunder thief sound. (laughs) Yoink. (laughs) The term for this is ecto mist. What? That's right. High C. Love it. And it was actually ecto cooler, but it could have been the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's when you mi- mix high C ecto cooler with Sierra mist. Oh, delicious. Uh, not ectoplasm like Slimer or the Fox Sisters, buttered muslin. Usually it's seen in photographs after the fact, not with the naked eye. See also orbs, which we've talked about. Yes. Colors vary, but white, gray, or bluish seems to be the most common. While it may indicate the presence of something from the hereafter, if the fog, mist, or smoke is black, a demonic presence is said to be attached. I think that's fair. I think if you see black fog, good rule of thumb, pass. Hard pass, just leave it alone. Don't don't do it. If you see black smoke, it ain't no joke. Black fog, not even once. Hashtag not even once. <laughs> I've, I've got a few things in the in the old paranormal realm, not just ghosty stuff, but there's some uh, phenomenon and things that people have said they've encountered. Uh, I've got a few stories for us. Yes, please. Because it's, it's always uh, better in stories. So I'll start out here. None of these are title, so don't worry. <laughs> and I won't ask. My 
My husband and I had moved up to Kentucky from Tennessee, and we were staying with my mother until we could get moved into our own place. She lives about six miles outside the Moorhead city limits on a road called Bluestone. Her house backs up to a huge expanse of a field that has a rather large subdivision of houses owned by the more financially well-to-do folks in the area on the other side behind a thick stand of trees. We hadn't been there for more than a week when we noticed something wasn't right. We first noticed that we were tired and felt drained all the time when we were at Mom's, but we would feel fine as soon as we left and went to town or out to see some others in my family. Then we began to notice that Max, our dog, wouldn't go near the field after dark. That's when we started really paying close attention to the area when night came. There was always a fog around once night fell, but it didn't behave like a normal fog. First of all, there weren't any bodies of water around big enough to help create the kind of pea soup fog that would start creeping up from the ground on the far side of the field. It would always start from this one certain point on the ground, and then it would slowly creep around and spread out. One night, as my hubby and I were standing outside waiting for the dog to perform one of his many nightly potty runs, we watched the fog start. That's weird. Like, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure Watching there's... Watching fog start or the potty runs? Yeah, that if you're just hanging out and you just start to see it start to kind of mm. materialize. Oh, yeah. There was a light breeze blowing, but this fog was moving against the breeze, and that put us on the alert. Then Max started making this weird huffing noise like he was trying to whisper a bark. It was so funny that we almost laughed, but Max was shaking. He was frightened. My hubby and I looked up, and the fog had swirled its way very quickly over the field and right to the edge of Mom's yard. Then one of the most freaky and horrible things I've ever seen formed out of that fog. The fog in front of us started swirling and Max started growling. We watched it form a ghost-like figure that had the appearance of a corpse. It had what looked like long, wildly flowing hair and the face was skeletal with sharp, pointed-looking teeth. The ghost or spirit formation in the fog looked like it had a dress that was ragged from rot. It tried to reach a skeletal hand towards me, but we were already running towards the front door, Max faster than either of us. We were shaking, trying to get a grip on what we had seen. After that night, we never went toward the field when night came, and Max wouldn't budge an inch towards it if we tried. We looked for a source for that weird fog, trying to see if there were any logical explanations. Never found any. I don't know if it was a ghost or not, but I know for certain what we saw that night. That is terrifying. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a, a, a thing you encounter in The Witcher. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, that's some RPG shit. Ugh. Stories are always better with dogs in them. As long as the dogs don't die. <laughs> yeah, that was just, that was exactly, I was going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. As long as the dog makes it out okay. <laughs> but yeah, how creepy is that? And that's sniffing on my backyard. Moorhead is not far from where I grew up. Yeah, uh, little, little, little Kentucky dust up. Little. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got, I got one here for you, Flora. Okay. 
In early 1968, during the Tet Offensive, I was a loadmaster on a C-130 cargo aircraft attached to the 834th Air Division. It was ironic, because my name was Load Masterson. <laughs> um, it was also ironic, because the 834th Air Division contained no aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> also ironic was how offensive the Tet was. <laughs> but it was Vietnam, and we just pretty much were making it up as we went along anyway. Uh... My crew and I had departed Da Nang en route to Cam Ranh Bay, South Vietnam. The flight time was about 45 minutes, and we were flying we were flying south just off the coast of Vietnam at 25,000 feet. The aircraft was pressurized, and I was so there's a lot of okay. The aircraft was pressurized, and I was seated in the empty cargo compartment, taking care of some final paperwork to be turned in when we landed at our destination. This was the last flight of a very long 20-hour day for us. I had the cargo compartment lights on, on bright white because we had no threat of enemy fire so I could complete the paperwork. As I sat there, I noticed movement at the rear of the boxcar-sized empty cargo compartment. I looked and was stunned to see a whirling, gray, cloudy mass forming at the rear right troop door. The mass was whirling clockwise. It completely filled the entire rear of the aircraft within seconds. It just hung there like a gray-black curtain. Well, I immediately opened fire. <laughs> Well, I immediately thought that we, had, that we had suddenly had a pressurization leak of some kind or high-pressure fluid leak that was atomizing the fluid. I asked the engineer over the inter- interphone system if he had any indications of any problems of any kind. Uh, he told me no. By this time, the mist or fog or whatever it was had half the cargo compartment filled, and in just a matter of no less than two or three minutes, the entire cargo compartment was filled in, all the way to the forward bulkhead. The engineer and navigator had joined me in the rear of the aircraft, where all three of us just continued to rub each other's backs and enjoy the anonymity of the thick, thick fog. Oh, wait. Sorry. (laughs) We said an egg cream and some topless teenagers. Man, it was a good time. Sorry. Just hanging out in the Shanana plane. (laughs) Just got out of my heart-shaped seat. The engineer and navigator had joined me in the rear of the aircraft where all three of us just continued to back away from the mass as it advanced towards the front of the aircraft. The co-pilot then joined us, joined us at the forward crew door area just where the steps that just where the steps were that led to the cockpit. The pilot placed the aircraft in autopilot mode and also joined the rest of us. <laughs> Jesus! Somebody! Thanks. Keep a hand on the wheel! Uh, We could see this gray-black mass in front of us. We were all so amazed. The navigator said, Flora, this is spooky. I remember looking at him almost in anger because I felt sure that whatever it was we were seeing was something to do with the aircraft itself and not something weird or strange. The engineer went back to his panel to double-check on any possible problem with the aircraft systems and found nothing out of the ordinary. I placed my hand into the mass and it just plain disappeared from sight. This stuff was very opaque. The, the engineer said, Come on, load. That's what they called me. Let's do a walk around the cargo compartment. I quickly agreed, and the two of us stepped into the opaque mass. As soon as I stepped into the mass, the lights went out. We had to feel our way along the wall of the aircraft. We were absolutely blind inside that unknown mass. Well, we felt our way around each other for maybe 15 minutes. Nope, sorry. 
We felt our way around for maybe 15 minutes, with the other three crewmen asking for constant updates as to our welfare. We got back to... <laughs> we got back to the stairwell where the others were, and it was and was at a total loss as to what to do to get rid of the mass filling our aircraft. If it had also filled the cockpit, we would, we would have been flying blind with no way to land safely. I've never figured out what that strange gray-black mass was. While I was fully encased inside the mass, I had no trouble with my eyes burning, as they should have been doing if it was some kind of fluid. It had no odor, and it did not interfere with our breathing either, as it should have, had it been a fluid problem. The only other explanation was that it might have been some kind of pressurization problem, which it was not because that was the very first thought I had and the very first thing the engineer checked. I did not feel any kind of threat from the mass except that if it had filled the entire aircraft, we would have been in very desperate trouble. So as we stood there trying to decide what it was and what to do about it, the mass began to go away the way it had appeared, only in reverse. When it got back into the place it had first started forming, it whirled counterclockwise and then just disappeared into nothing. The five of us were totally dumbfounded about what we had just experienced. By now we were coming up on our destination, so we got down to business of going through the pre-landing checklist. None of us ever mentioned the incident again, ever, between each other. Why? I'm not sure, except to say that as a seasoned combat crewman, I guess that we, I know, I just figured that if we lived through it, then we did not have to worry about it again. Now it never really crossed my mind back then that I would never be able to figure out what it was that we had seen that night. But as the years have continued to pass without an answer, the incident has begun to spook me a bit. We all saw that ominous gray-black mass just hanging there in front of our eyes. But just what it could have been stumps me. So, so the aircraft took off from Da Nang, which is a tropical area, a lot of humidity. Then they went up at altitude in a pressurized cockpit, and maybe the temperature dropped. So you think this was actual fog fog? Yeah, it just formed a cloud in the cockpit. Uh, Damien Hurst, I think it was. Let me make sure I got that right. I think Damien Hurst just did an installation where he made a cloud in a room. Uh, maybe it wasn't Damien Hurst cloud. Yeah, there's an artist named Bernalt Smild. And he makes clouds wherever you want them. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. Weird, weird stuff yeah. happens. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like this is a, a pretty straightforward, just, yeah, the cargo hold got cold. You could fit a lot of, of air vape, you know, like water vapor in some, one of those things. What do you think? Well, it could be. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how thick something like that would get. Um, cause I mean, they made a really big deal out of how thick it was and how opaque it was and how it grew, grew and kept growing. And then all of a sudden it just sort of shrunk and almost like it got ventilated out really. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it might be that the, the cabin heated up. I don't yeah. know. I mean, cause you've got four guys running around in there now. I mean, yeah. that's a big aircraft. It would take a lot for those guys to make an appreciable difference, but I don't know. I mean, maybe as they approached their, because the, it said they were getting close to landing, maybe they were dropping in altitude and it was kind of changing things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty creepy to be, to be around though. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is scary just in that. Yeah. If that thing had kept, if it had kept growing and it just, I mean, whether or not it was creepy or ethereal, the fact that it would keep them from seeing their instruments. Yeah. Bad enough. And it's not like you can just pop a 
pop a window open. <laughs> All right, one more story here for you. In 2004, I moved to a small village south of Chester, England, and worked in another village in Chester some 20 miles away. Late in the year, November, December, I was driving home on the country lanes. It would have been nearly 6 p.m. I remember it being a misty, foggy night, and as I neared my village, I saw a dark figure walking towards me on my side of the road. There was an oncoming car on the other side of the road, and I could see the silhouette of the figure in the other car's headlights, although my headlights failed to illuminate the front of this figure I was seeing. All that happened within just a few seconds, and as I thought the figure was a real person, and there was an oncoming car, I slammed my brakes on for an emergency stop. The oncoming car passed and continued on its way, and I saw no one where the figure had been. A little worried, I got out of my car and had a look around and still couldn't see anyone. There were no woods to disappear into or anything like that, just fields. As I got back into my car, I looked at the roadside in front of me, warning of a sharp right bend in the road. Had the dark void in the mist been the shadow of the road sign in the other car's headlights? I assumed so, just for a moment, for at that point, another car came round the bend, and I watched the shadow of the road sign as the other car came round the corner. Yes, it was a dark void, but it was not person-shaped, and my headlights continued to illuminate the front of it that I could see. Perplexed, I set off again and was home within a couple of minutes. I told this to my girlfriend. We thought little more of it than an optical illusion and settled down for a normal night in. A week or so later, my girlfriend and I were driving back from Chester one evening and we both saw a very similar thing. It was quite misty and while driving along the main road through a residential area, we saw a dark figure cross the road in front of us. Just like a person, but it was like a void in the mist that didn't reflect the headlights as much as the rest of the mist does. We both thought it was weird and probably a trick of the light. A week or so later, while the two of us were driving along a country lane, it happened again. I didn't see it this time, but my girlfriend did. A week or so after that, many weeks here in in, in (laughs) Chester, England. These are excerpts from my book my weeks in Chester. (laughs) While driving home, my brakes failed and I almost had a very nasty car accident. Probably unrelated. Two weeks later, around Christmas time, my girlfriend and I split up and I moved out of the area. These sightings have remained in my memory for a long time and for ages, the area south of Chester had been the only place I had ever seen such phenomena. And only in Cheshire have I known such dense fog and mist, usually at night. Were these voids in the mist spiritual entities? Were they warning me of something? Poorly, if they were. An impending breakup, perhaps? (laughs) (laughs) She's just not into you. The visions did mark the start of a very unhappy time in my life. A period of time that only really started to improve when I delved further into spiritualism and really started to think about the spirit world in much more depth and nude. (laughs) 
I have seen these dark voids in the mist once or twice since then, shortly after meeting the woman who is now my wife, and the one time that sticks in my mind the most is seeing a dark figure cross a busy road behind me. I watched in my rearview mirror as the headlights from the car behind failed to light up part of the fog in the shape of a person. Weeks after that, I began work on my book, My Weeks the many weeks. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I, I think that that should be a romantic period piece called My, my Weeks in Charlton. Ch- Ch- my Weeks in Chainsbridge. It's a BDSM <laughs> erotic novel. Of course. So, Flora, what do you think is going on with these people? I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, not only that, there are there are more than a few accounts of people entering thick fog and never coming out. Yeah. Almost as though the fog swallows victims and then once it lifts, it leaves no trace of them. One such example supposedly happened in 1915 during the Gallipoli campaign of World War I. An infantry regiment of the British Army, the Royal Norfolk Regiment, marched up a hill in Suvla Bay, Turkey. The hill was shrouded in a low-lying cloud, which the regiment marched into. And Shortly after, the cloud lifted, and the regiment was gone. They were never found, so the legend goes. Some fog gets so thick, it almost seems to be a tangible mass. And whether curiosity or necessity compels, people feel the need to enter it, often with strange consequences. In 1956, Frank Flynn, a Coast Guardsman aboard the cutter Yamacraw, reported that he and the crew encountered a fog bank so dense their searchlight reflected off of it. After nudging it a couple of times, they entered the mass, at which point their electronics went haywire and engine room reported losing steam pressure. Reversing course, they left the mass and their equipment returned to normal. Thick fog masses are often found in stories of time slips, Yep, which we've talked about, with witnesses experiencing greenish mists or fogs that give a sense of disorientation, nausea, dizziness, and electrical tingling when encountered. (laughs) Some people will say they then find themselves in a different time period due to the dress or sight of bygone objects. Others say they have been transported miles away and have missing time. But fog is usually a factor in each case. And one infamous source of stories about time slips, vanishings, and strange experiences is the good old Bermuda Triangle. Oh, man, that is, yeah, that is the fog that just keeps on rolling in. Yep, fog gonna fog. Uh, <laughs> story after story is told of ominous fog banks swallowing aircraft and ships, causing distortions and disappearances. The term electronic fog was created by pilot Bruce Gernon to describe just such a phenomenon. His story goes in December of 1970, Gernon and his father took off on a flight that was to take them from Andros Island in the Bahamas to Palm Beach International Airport in Florida. Not long into the flight, he noticed a strange cloud formation that he described as having almost perfectly round edges ahead of them. He attempted to climb altitude to go over it, but it continued to grow, and now it seemed to be closing in behind them as well. He shifted course to go around it, but it was too late, as the clouds had surrounded the aircraft. 
He then claims to have seen a tunnel form in the clouds, and having no other option, he flew into it. It seemed to be forming a vortex, and spiral shapes became apparent. Weightlessness was experienced, and even the compass of the craft appeared to be malfunctioning. They attempted to call into a dispatcher, but were told that they were not visible on the air radar. As they looked up, they stared into what appeared to be a vast area of nothingness. It was much like fog, only everything could be seen, and there was nothing. So, nothing was seen. In everything. Thank you. <laughs> the Zen Master, because I was like, wait, <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> they experienced this for the next half hour, and then the fog lifted and air traffic control made contact with them. Only it wasn't Palm Beach controllers. It was Miami calling to inform them they were over Miami Beach. Not only were they pushed off course, but they were a half hour early from when they were supposed to reach land again. This electronic fog, as he called it, has been reported in that area for years in connection with the legends of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as you can see, there's a lot of weird anomalous phenomenon that goes on with fog at its core. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it's always It's I mean, it's I don't I've always found fog to be like it's creepy, but in a fun way. You know, like it's it's cool not seeing stuff. It sucks to drive through and all that, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like like when mist is just kind of rolling down a hill. Like I always just thought that was really cool. But I can see, I mean, why there's so many stories about uh, bad things in the fog, or or I mean, it is spooky. Yeah, it obscures sight. It 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 yeah. takes away one of your senses. And in a way, it dulls a couple a couple of them because fog has a dampening effect on sound yep. too. It's particularly effective for higher f- frequencies and ultrasound. Uh, but since sound is pressure waves that propagate through a compressible medium, the mm-hmm. tiny water and sometimes ice droplets of fog absorb and scatter sound energy. And that's why you have lower frequency sounds that travel better in fogs. That's why fog horns are so low. And then similarly light that you shine into fog will cause both refraction and diffraction. An observer standing inside the fog and looking at the light source will likely see a very diffuse source, and depending on the angle of the observer to that source and the size of the suspended droplets, they may also see a rainbow. This is also why you don't want to use your high beams while driving in fog. It's just going to get reflected back at you. It's not going to help you. So... As far as explanations for some of this stuff, yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's it's it, there's not a lot to it, it, it unless we single out, you know, what we've said in in certain places. A lot of the the paranormal re- the reports or the photos can be debunked with simple explanations. Photos, when not hoaxed, can show smoke from things like fires or cigarettes, uh, breath in cold air, and even light blurs can look like. Uh, glowing supernatural f- fog. The uh, the freezing fog that you were talking about, the one that killed the birds. Does yeah. that does that sound very plausible to you? Yeah, you think that um, uh, a fog can cause hypothermia in a bird very quickly? I I don't know. I'm just well. Asking. I mean, I I don't know how quickly it would be, but given the size of a fog bank, you know, if a bird flies in there, by the time they are cognizant that they might be in trouble. They might not be able to get out of it in time. And then you also have the issue that they are 
flying through a cloud of mist that's cold. So that water is getting on them. And of course, you know, birds are designed to kind of sheet water, but the the thermal transfer of that, I imagine, would still be something of a problem to some degree. They could just get a little bit waterlogged or fatigued also. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. You can get a just a, a pocket of cold air. Birds are, they're not thermally sturdy in some cases, you know. Mm. And I think in, in particular, it did mention that they were songbirds. And I, I wonder if that kind of gives you a little bit better idea, like the size of a bird. You know, I'm imagining like a body about fist size or so. Yeah. I mean, freezing fogs do exist. There have been examples of fogs that roll in and, and then in their wake, they leave like a coating of ice. Oh, yeah. And things, things get frozen just, you know, by this. And and it's crazy to think about. It sounds like something out of you know a movie or a story or something. But yeah, but yeah, that that can actually happen. And those and the aftermaths of those ice storms. I mean, once you get over all the the terrible traffic accidents, they're beautiful and cool looking. Right. And one one note about that missing battalion that I talked about. Uh huh. Now I'm not gonna uh, debunk this fully. I might save it because I've got an idea for something later. But. It may be a case of misrem- misremembering by witnesses and cover-up by commanding officers uh, at the time. Hmm. And there have been reports that dispel some of the dates and the uh, number of soldiers involved. Uh, in even one theory that some or all of the men were captured and executed by Turkish forces, which is a terrible, though not weird, fate. So, yeah, it could, that, that could be a f- more fanciful take on on a fog story but it's still it would be creepy as a soldier and as a witness to just see to see yeah. a whole regiment just go and disappear into a fog bank you know exact yeah just regardless just of if march they off out. and disappear yeah any any other thoughts uh, you have what do you what do you uh i don't know like it's 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 kind of a fun confluence of like science and and in mythology you know, where, where there's like scientific requirements for a fog that have to be met and then it can happen at the worst time or it can be also including like toxic pollutants, you know, like there's so many angles at which this comes out that that I, I don't know. I think it's just fa- fascinating. Like people, some people are afraid of, of spirits in the fog and some people are like, ah, I just can't breathe all this sulfur. <laughs> You know, like it's, there's so many different ways to arrive at the same phenomenon. Yeah. And some of them are, are not only just spooky or have a mythology of being dangerous. Sometimes it's just straight up old school, physically dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason it's, uh, it's, it's creepy. Yeah. But, um, that'll do it for us for killer fog in a very opaque uh, hard to breathe in nutshell. The hardest thing is that as you look at, you know, just like such a thick mass of fog is that you see things swirling in there and the movement and you think what's in there. What is it that I just can't make out? So you get a little closer and you realize it's full of puns. <laughs> no wonder it's so creepy. <laughs> All right, I'll go. Okay. Well, I, I thought I had full confidence in being able to make my way through the cloud of fog, but I couldn't get past my mistrust of it. 
Mistrust. Nice. You're really good at that. That real, <laughs> real thin, thin knife. The, the shadow blade pun. It. Yeah. Is it Florida? Did you hear about the? There was a terrible, terrible game back in the eighties. A video game. Just everybody hated it. Where you were just trying to navigate a guy across a highway, but it was during, you know, terrible, terrible mist and you couldn't see anything so you just never even knew what you just suddenly it was just game over everyone hated it It was called fogger it was terrible they buried it in the desert next to (laughs) et in that hole gosh i wish wouldn't that be funny if just just to be dicks to do an episode about the mysterious vault of 2600 games (laughs) what do you got flora well, have you heard the the new album We Get It, You Vapor? It's by the ghostly Irish punk band Fogging Molly. <laughs> nice. Well, that's funny because uh did you hear about the ethereal uh female musician? Uh super popular, uh very very empowering female empowerment man, but the the problem is is um when she's performing on stage it's really hard to see her because when they have all the spotlights on her, it's just, it's just light getting reflected around. It's Ani diffraction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to her? She's still bopping around, isn't she? Oh, I'm sure she is. Them's puns. Them's is the puns. And the, and the only light that will, that'll guide us home from here, Flora, from the middle of this, this murky, murky eternity there out on the distance, a single, beam of light and a foghorn to bring us home. And that, that foghorn just says, Listener Hell. <laughs> no foghorns that long. Come on, man. I just I just wanted to know how far I could go with it. You should edit all of that out. Ah. <laughs> I got uh, we got an email from Amanda Conda. Fucking great name. <laughs> nice. Dave and David. I finally finished the entire podcast. I feel like there should um, be a episode one. <laughs> right. Yeah. I finished a whole episode. I feel like there should be a certificate for that hint hint. I listened to about two to three podcasts per weekday and finished in three months. Oh man, just just a high five and a. I hope you're okay. <laughs> uh, I found you through the Rumor Flies guys, and, and my first episode was episode 164, the murder of Charles Walton. I'll admit I was completely confused by the first six and a half minutes where the two quote English detectives were interrogating <laughs> an old woman who was obviously a man and threatening her with bad manners. Needless to say, I didn't get it. However, I pushed through and ended up loving you guys. I think my favorite episode is the very first ghost stories where you liberally use the terms haints and tickets. And yes, she got the t-shirt. But there are so many episodes you guys had me laughing out loud and everyone around me thinking I was deranged. My next life goal is to get my husband addicted to you. Do it. Do it. Put put us in his coffee. That way he won't even know until it's too late and he's hooked. I'll close with a pun. Uh, perhaps in another dimension, there exists a similar podcast uh, to yours. In this dimension, photography technology has progressed by leaps and bounds. However, after a few mysterious mummies are found with hair growing all over their bodies, the world is thrown into turmoil. This podcast covers this news and more. It's 
furry pharaohs. <laughs> I like this. Wow. Uh, anxiously awaiting the, the day when you guys visit California, as are we, Amanda Conda. Thank you. Thank you. I imagine furry pharaohs to be um, all about mummy, mummy squatch. I, yeah, I imagine that it is erotic animal Egyptian cosplay. <laughs> That's it. This one comes to us from Brian. Dave and David, or David and Dave. I'll let nice. you fight over the order. Uh, I was listening to your latest episode of Scottish Cannibals. When it comes to puns with layers, I think punions is a good way to describe <laughs> them. I dig it. I dig it. My main reason for writing uh, is to say I've been listening for a few years now and still can't wait for the next episode to drop. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, you thank were you. You're my first and still my favorite podcast. Oh, man. We, 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 we popped the podcast cherry and, <laughs> Gross. and, and stuck around. So, okay. Thank you, Brian from <laughs> Kentucky. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> uh, we got one from Dan, the retired space pirate. Oh, my goodness. He, is, he put that life behind him. I have a couple of puns. And uh, now, Dan, Dan, every space pirate knows no apologies necessary. That's all right, especially because you're retired. That's right. The, the man doesn't require it anymore. <laughs> If you're like me and you're a fan of Jessica Alba, and I'm sure you are, you may be happy to hear that she recently started selling some of her own merchandise, movie memorabilia, autographs, t-shirts, and et cetera, online. It's called, it's the Jessica Alba store. <laughs> nice. Hope there's some lip balm there. <laughs> uh, have you ever been up drinking all night only to run out of beer and forced to drink those two cans of stag you have had in your fridge since before the great flood? Yes. Then you may be suffering from... Old stag syndrome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> On that same note, there's nothing worse than trying to play one of your favorite online games with an old dial-up internet connection, which is old lag syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, P.S. Uh, if you guys have Hulu, you should check out the Western comedy series Quick Draw. If you haven't already, episode three features the Bloody Benders. Badass. Mm. I've never even, never even heard of it. Yeah, I'll have to either. check that out. Thanks, Dan, the retired space pirate. Thanks, Dan. Enjoy, enjoy spinning that booty. Yeah. Uh, in your in your golden years, <laughs> uh, we've heard from Guy. Hi, Guy. Hey, y'all. Hey, Guy. Hey, Guy. Greetings from Washington. I'm a brand new listener. As of about a week, uh, I've listened to a few random episodes and made the possibly horrid decision to listen to your podcast starting on episode one. <laughs> I've finished episode four, and you ought to know you've 100 percent ruined Big Rock Candy Mountain for me. <laughs> Was it was it like a staple? Was it like your favorite song until then? <laughs> Harry McClintock would be ashamed. <laughs> I feel it necessary to apologize for a lack of puns, but I'll keep playing the Nikola Teslato for some good ones. Nice. Keep up the great work. Guy, not girl. <laughs> What's up, guy? Hey, guy. Thanks, guy. Thanks, guy. <laughs> got, a, got an email from Spork Chap. Spork Chap. Spork Chop writes, hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. Well, hi, welcome to the airwaves. <laughs> I've been working on a few puns, but I won't regale you with their magnificence just yet. Yeah, polish them, keep them in the oven until they're ready. I just knew that I had to write in when I saw this article in a newspaper a little south of where I live. Front page news too. Them sandhill cranes are going to get you every time. Anyway, I just so happened to notice that I'm wearing one of your black flag t-shirts, which uh, by the look of the store are discontinued. So now it's a collector's item. You are also correct. 
I'm a Menson, and I have attended the Halloween, uh, the Halloween gatherings for years, with the exception of this last year. And while listening to old shows, I heard you were at at least one. That is true. Yeah. I can't believe that I missed the chance to meet you guys. Expect a slew of listener mail from me with, uh, from now on with puns, show suggestions, and to put you both in the penalty box for a long time. I expect nothing less, Spork Chop. Yeah, the the shirts. Uh, there's there's still some shirts available. It's just the sizes run out. Yeah, like they do. I was just running around in the black flag this weekend thinking about what a great shirt it is. That's right. not even a lie. I was like, man, I love this shirt. Thanks, Spork Chop. Thanks, Spork Chop. Dave, we got one here from Moxie. Oh, Moxie. Sends us a great uh, show idea and says she's trying to think of some puns, but it is hard. Uh, and once mm-hmm. once the first one to be amazing, you know what it's it's you know what it is it's it, like ripping off a band aid. It is on a wound <laughs> that will never heal. Uh, you just gotta just get it off there and just let all that just let that pun out. Because <laughs> uh, I don't I usually at this point I'd be like oh sorry don't don't say that no I feel like that's an accurate description that of, is pretty of accurate pun, yeah of, that of, is, of the that Vita pun good. lifestyle there keep up on the slapping smacking burping and yelling as I just need it daily. Yes, indeed. That's what we're into. I agree with that. So thank you very much, Moxie. Thank you so much, Moxie. Yeah. One more here from Horchata. <laughs> no, wait. W. Horchata. Yeah, you got it. This lurker stepping out of the shadows. Say thank you. The massive amount of, uh, the massive amount of episodes you create helps to make a very bleak busk mute more bearable. Thank you. I'm glad it does. Unfortunately, I, I am almost done with all the episodes, so I'll be forced to wait for new content like the rest of the unwashed masses. In appreciation, here's some puns from the back catalog. Forgive me if they've already been given. I'm too lazy to double check. I don't blame you. I love I love where your head's at. She is a free-spirited government research agency. He is an uptight lawyer. Once they meet, sparks fly and their worlds collide. Tune in to ABC to catch the new hit comedy, DARPA and Greg. <laughs> nice, deep cut. Two Scottish shepherds were feuding about property lines as their flocks would occasionally cross into each other's areas. After a decade of scrabbles, one of them finally exclaimed in a fit of rage, Hey, go f*** me ship, eh? Uh, go back, Lady Teppy. That one may be a lead balloon. <laughs> I think, I think. Well, you know, point, think, points for effort. Yeah, I think your reach exceeded your grasp on that one, but I love that you were swinging for the uh, always swinging for the fences. Oh yeah, oh yeah. P.S. Love that it took Stecco a mere four episodes to mention he had worked in Antarctica. Oh no, no, it didn't. But Flora kept editing it out for a while, but he just got sick of it. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Shout outs real quick here, Dave, to Spooker Duker, Pretty Witty Joe, Thomas M, Bromsgrove Bloke. Professor Albrecht Van Damned, who sent a penalty box for the uh, the snatch thing that you already served yeah, time for, Dave. Yeah, I did, I did. And I did. Narwhal Tacos for the awesome I'm a Blur Reaver song. Thank you yeah, guys yeah. for writing in. Tacos. And uh, before we before we get completely off of Planet Listener Mail, there's one other thing, you know, as we have often discussed here on the podcast, and is, as any uh, longtime Blur Reaver knows, we are always super far behind when it comes to Listener Mail. And the problem we've had, which is not a problem at all of, of, of growing and, and expanding the family, as it were, is that the podcast stays the same size, but the volume of listener mail, she grows and grows and grows and grows like a foghorn. <laughs> um, not how foghorns work. 
and so uh, in the next week, Flora and I are going to be kicking around some ideas. We got to find a way to stay more, uh, more caught up. And that means, you know, one, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out like more, more, more pixie choosy in what we read, uh, maybe less read per episode, you know, those kind of things. So if you guys have any ideas as well, we'd love to get your input because, you know, this is all of our podcast and, um, you know, we want to, to make sure that you guys are taking the time to write us in. And that means the world to us. It truly does. We still read them all. Oh yeah. Everything it's just gets a, read. Yeah. It's just a question of how much time we have to read them all on air. And as we get further and as we march further on, we just get further behind. Uh, and it just makes us feel bad. And no one wants to write an email and then hear it three four months, months, four yeah. months later, you know, it, it's bad all around. So, uh, in the next week, we're going to be kind of thinking about what we can do to, to kind of tighten that up and maybe make listener mail a, a slightly tighter, smaller part of the show, but also make sure we still keep that interactivity because we will always read your emails. It's just a question of what we'll actually do on the podcast. So if you have any suggestions, let us know because we, we want your input on that too. We're a, a yeah. pretty democratic podcast, I guess. Dave, uh, Dave made a good point. You know, the listener mail portion keeps getting bigger while the size of the episode stays the same. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not a it's not a uh, sustainable formula unfortunately but we'll figure something out um yeah with your help dave i believe it's time now to find out who won week three yes of the 2017 miscrypted contest now oh man the contestants last week were the moon-eyed people yep hoover the talking seal i've heard of them and the holdra because uh, here's here's the thing. I, I almost feel bad. I feel like I may have vol- violated some sort of like rules <laughs> regarding endorsement. Bylaws. Yeah. Because I was just so in love with Hoover, the talking seal. So, I mean, I know who I, I, I hope Hoover won. I just hope that uh, my exuberance didn't affect the outcome. I don't know. It doesn't matter because... You guys are the ones voting, and that's how democracy works. Well, is, so that's your that's your guess? My guess, my hope, my fervent prayer is for Hoover, the talking seal. Okay. But the Huldra was, the Huldra was f***ing badass, too. Yeah, yeah. And that's we got cool. some sweet art. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I included it all on the webpage. Yeah. Like, for each each week. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Threw, it, I threw it up there on the webpage. That's awesome. So, the winner of week three... Yeah. The 2017 Miss Cryptid Contest is Hoover the Talking Seal. Oh, uh, yeah! Was it close? No, it wasn't close. <laughs> <laughs> he carried oh, no. like three-fourths of the vote. Come over here. <laughs> oh man now uh, there's been no shortage of people pointing out that whoever the talking seal is uh not really a cryptid that's true um he's a talking seal <laughs> stop yourself it's 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 it, it's only too easy to miss the forest for the trees people and you got to keep your head in a swivel in this world and when you meet a talking seal I don't care how it happens. And uh, to which someone's going to say, well, I guess all parrots are cryptids. Well, you, I guess you could say that, and you're going to be lonely for the rest of your life. It's a talking <laughs> seal. It's a talking seal 
I have no regrets. Yeah, it's He's a this, champion. This, yeah, this this might go down as a um uh, uh an asterisk uh <laughs> yeah man, who knows it's like using peds yeah that's right yeah he's the <laughs> hoover is the barry bonds of the miscrypted contest <laughs> so that means that hoover the talking seal joins the illustrious company of popo bawa the and the wampus cat that's right that's a brawl a six-legged yeah, yeah. cat a, a flying pervert beast and a hard-working East Coast working-class talking seal. <laughs> Yankee-hating seal. <laughs> yeah, so you got one week. Cast your vote for who will win the yes. 2017 Miss Cryptid Contest. This is your last week, your last chance to get one more ticket in the hat for the 2017 Miss Cryptid Prize Pack, Yep, growing by leaps and bounds. So, yeah, we're going to get... I mean, it's it's funny. You know, I just found, uh, I sent it to Flora. I found on my phone a picture of the first ever Ms. Cryptid prize pack. Yeah. It was a cool featured, prize pack. Yeah. Featured the first uh, ever made Jesus Was Whip Guy shirt. That was our <laughs> first shirt ever. It was, that was the prototype design. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So head on over to the, uh, yes. to our homepage to vote there. And big announcement, we are one of the finalists of the 2017 Reader's Choice Best of Chicago Awards, of course, in the Best Podcast category. So please look for the link on our website. I'll put it on the website, and I'll put it on the Facebook page. I'll spread it around. Uh, Make sure to follow that link. Go to the reader and vote for us as Best Podcast in Chicago. Tell friends... Tell everybody you know it's only one vote, so just get a vote in there and and just let it happen. Sit back and and watch the, the <laughs> Benjamins roll in. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we really appreciate uh, if you if you took the time to do that. Help us win an award. <laughs> yes, yeah, someday somehow it'll be amazing. That's right. As always, please go and and mm-hmm. give us a five star mm-hmm. rating on iTunes. We would really uh, love to hit that five Hildo mark on there. That's a pretty big accomplishment. Be glorious. That'd be glorious. Uh, Give us a a like on Facebook. Help us climb up to two Thildos. Whoa. That's that's a nice slog. Yeah. Where where are we at right now? We're over 18 now. Thanks. Thanks to you guys. Uh, We're almost to one Thildo on Twitter. So please go follow us. Blurry underscore photos. Go to Patreon and sign up. Patreon.com slash blurry photos. You get a ton of cool stuff from that. Go to audibletrial.com slash blurry photos to get yourself a free audiobook download from one of over, what, 180 some thousand oh, books God. they have who, on there? Who even has yeah, time you can to get count. about anything? If I don't have time to read it, I certainly don't have time to count it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you get a free audiobook and a 30 day trial membership, which you can cancel at any time if you so choose. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to the Chicago Podcast Cooperative, where you can find many great podcasts like Improvised Star Trek, the ragtag crew of the USS Sisyphus improvising their way through a through the, the cosmos. It's a great time. Uh, check those guys out. Everything's improvised. Suggestions by listeners. All that fun stuff. Uh, you can check out Dark Myths. Yes, please. Dot org to find some other great podcasts like the Mad Scientist podcast, which we just had on as a guest for our last Bullstone. And uh, in general, thank you for listening. Yeah, 
we appreciate that you appreciate. <laughs> you guys are magnificent. And I, I really do mean that. We'll always, you know, we do whatever we can to, to, to improve this little this little tugboat for you guys. So we're trying. So for this episode of Blurry Photos, I might be David Flora, but I haven't the foggiest. <laughs> and I've been Dave. That's not how foghorns work, Stecco. Burr, burr, burr.